Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today on the show, we have David Coderre. David is a co-founder and the chief data analyst for Control Matters and the president of Computer Assisted Analysis Techniques and Solutions, aka CATS. He's an expert in the development and use of data analytics for fraud assessment, testing of internal controls, and continuous monitoring. He has over 30 years of experience using analytics to address audit requirements. Dave is also the author of four books on data analytics, which we will link in the show notes. He's also the co-author or the author of the Institute of Internal Auditors Global Technology Audit Guide, Continuous Auditing, Implications for Assurance Monitoring and Risk Assessment. Uh, David also contributed to the data analytics portions of the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide. David has also received the IA Canada's Contribution to the Profession of Internal Auditing Award in 2010 and contributes to various professional journals and is a frequent speaker at conferences around the world. David is also the number one all-time contributor to the ACL forum where he's answered more user questions than the next four contributors combined. So... David has been doing analytics and audit for a long time. So one of the first things I asked Dave is about his his story in audit and analytics and how he's seen that change over the last 30 years, why we aren't where we want to be with analytics as a profession, his advice on and guidance on quick wins using analytics, uh, his thoughts on visualizations, which are similar to mine. And so that's why I was curious about them, or at least wanted to let you guys know what those are. Um, and then we also talk about Dave's favorite uh, data analytics stories, so some of the results that he's gotten, which were very interesting. Uh, so be sure to check that out. In the show notes, there's links to Dave's books, Dave's website, his blog website, as well as the company he's currently at, Control Matters. Here we go. Considering your background and how long you've been doing this, what, 30, 35 plus years doing analytics in internal audit and supporting internal audit. I'm just curious about your kind of your journey through analytics over, over that time. So I would love to just kind of start with that and your story. You know, back in the late eighties, when I started with internal audit, I, I was actually a, what was called an EDP auditor, which is now called an IT auditor uh, back then, but um, working for a firm with about a hundred auditors and there was a single terminal that we had available to us to enter our time reporting. That was the only reason for having that. So audit was very much an early warning to management at the time. That was the raison d'etre. The reason audit existed was to be an early warning to management. Mm -hmm. And 
everything was done manually. So one of my first audits was reviewing call detail reports. So this is, there's a single line of print for every phone call going out of our head office over six months. So it was eight feet of fanful paper that I was flipping through going, why did I become an auditor? This is, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. This is insane. And just flipping through and suddenly I went, oh, there's something weird. 999 minute long distance call. Like very odd. Flag that page. Flip, flip, you know, half hour later. Oh, another 999 minute call. Uh, so audit, audit back then was quite a bit different than it is now. And as we moved into the 90s and the notion was, well, audits, uh, internal controls. That was the focus. We moved away from early warning to internal controls. And we started getting software and PCs so we could actually do more data analytics. And that's when I started using ACL back in like 1990. Um, I had used a couple of other packages before that, but uh, mainly on the mainframe. By the year 2000, we're starting to get into the notion of risk. And people are, who start now must think that this is kind of, well, of course we look at risk, but it was that, that evolution, right? Mm -hmm. Moving forward to that. And all throughout all that, I kept trying to increase the use of analytics, both by myself and by others, but it, it, was, it was very difficult. How did you get there? I wouldn't say that we're there yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at a lot of the studies, you know, the number one thing that they want auditors to do more of is to understand data analytics and, and employ data analytics. I guess the, you know, I, I became part of a, a very small one person CATS working group or, or support group. So I supported many, many auditors, many, many audits. Uh, so anytime I tell a story about an audit, uh, I was just part of providing the support. I wasn't actually doing the audit. Um, you know, I, I always say that, that having access to the data. So you, you need to have the, there's a lot of things they're going to say against you having access. You ask for access to the data. They're going to say, well, you don't have the authority. Mm -hmm. So make sure your audit charter is very, very clear that you have access to all information, including electronic information. Right? They're going to say that, well, um, you know, you, you can't maintain the proper security of the data if we give it to you. So be prepared for that. Sometimes I had to work on a standalone Tempest machine so that it, I was not sharing that data with anybody else. So I want to make sure you address that. I get the issue of, well, it, it's personal information, you know, privacy issues. So you need to be prepared to, to discuss that. It was funny, I'd, I'd go into a meeting to talk to the client uh, about getting access to their data. And I'd usually tell them that their IT person should be there as well, because I want to talk to them both at the same time. And I'd bring in my binder and they'd raise a question and I'd make a show of flipping open the binder to a certain area and pretending to sort of look at it and, and read the answer. Like, well, <laughs> we have security to do this. And then they'd say something else and I'd flip it open. And a couple of times they said, how many tabs do you have in that binder? I said, one more than objections. <laughs> Perfect. So be prepared, understand. I always liked it when they challenged me. If someone yeah. said, sure, you can have my data. It's like, well, wait a second, you don't, like you shouldn't give your data away. Yeah. Um, ha have alternate ways to get it. So then I wanted to sign on access to the system. Can I get into your system? Just sign on, read only access. Can I run standard reports? 
And if I can run standard reports, I want to be able to download them. So figure out how to download them. And then we started getting into the, all right, now it's a little bit harder. Can, can I tap directly into your system? Uh, usually no. Can you give me an extract of the data that I want? And it will be a subset. Yeah. And sometimes that one was, uh, it was still, well, you know, we're busy with all the operational requirements. Audit is not something that we support. So I say, well, you know what? We'll pay for overtime. We'll pay for a consultant. So try to make it as easy as possible. And also I was trying to make it so that once we had access, we maintained that access. So we weren't coming back again and again, and they knew it. You know, we're gonna come once, we're gonna get the information we need for a lot of different audits, and it's gonna reduce the impact it's gonna have on you down in the road. Yeah, I definitely like the make it easy, as easy as possible on them. It's, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Even if I go to like a website, if there's not a big button that says buy my thing right here and I have to scroll <laughs> to find where to buy the thing and it's it's not easy, then I just move on. I go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, making it easy is a, is a big piece of it. You're talking about, you know, in the, the reports that we see or the surveys that we see that analytics is still one of those uh, top of the list in terms of skills that are needed. Yes. And it's been like that way for a long time. Where's the, where's the gap? Why are we not there yet, do you think? I think some of the gap is, is in the colleges and universities. They're not necessarily teaching that uh, as part of, if, if there even is an internal audit course, they're not, they're not teaching data analytics uh, as part of that. Um, I think the other aspect is audit has a lot on its plate. The individual auditor has a lot on their plate now. You know, they need to understand the business that they're going into audit, whatever that is, it's a business process or the entire business or a line or whatever. They need to understand that. They need to be able to look at what the risks are to that business. So it, it's a fairly deep understanding. And then they have to try and link that back into the overall audit process. Mm -hmm. And if data analytics isn't part of that process by default, then it's like they're trying to interject something else on top of something that's probably already time constrained and uh, resource constrained. So it, it's difficult. I find it, you know, we're asking, like I said, we're asking a lot of our auditors and asking this extra little piece. It's, it's may seem like a little piece to people that do it every day, but if you do an audit, uh, let's say every six months and at the front end, you're going to be doing a lot of your analytics to do the risks and to help set the audit objectives then it may be six months again before you touch the analytics package again. And you've lost a lot of that. Yeah. I, I tell people often you have to be in it almost every day. You have to be in the tool almost every day. Absolutely. You know, and so especially when there's, when groups buy the tool with the expectation that we're going to be data driven and, and their perception of what that is, is that everybody has the tool and everybody's doing analytics is, very unrealistic. I, have you ever, I've, I've never seen that be done successfully. Have you ever seen that done successfully? I have, uh, no. Okay. I mean, I've, I've seen it where I've been supporting them and, you know, they can do some of the basics themselves, uh, but I'm still getting the data for them and arranging the data and then providing them with the files and they do some basic stuff. And if they have any problems, they can come and ask me. I also built into my job description in that one that 
I got to do QA. So I could go in and look at any work you were doing and say, well, wait a second, that should be an and, not an or. Yeah. Or you can't do a many-to-many join in this case. You know, mm-hmm. some of the more technical stuff, perhaps. A few of them would, you know, if they if they had the inclination and the background and the time, uh, they'd become sort of the experts within their own little group. But quite often we had a very good relationship with them to try to keep them up to speed. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to be sure. I tell people all the time, it it just like it and it has to be the same with you. It just makes my brain happy when I'm when I'm doing this. Uh the analytics work, like problem solving and even just, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There there's that one thing that's wrong and it takes you an hour and a half to figure out what that is. And then you go, Oh, I need to just, you know, whatever, put a hyphen here. You know, what something it's always something simple like that. And so you do that and then it works and you go, oh. Finally, I figured it out. And that's, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is. Um, yeah, well, the computer's very honest with you. If you're, <laughs> if you're doing something wrong, it's going to tell you yeah. this isn't working. <laughs> you know, programming, yeah, this isn't working. This isn't working. Um, yes, uh, I've always enjoyed analytics. Um, I took programming when I was in university, but it was all a bunch of intro courses, intro to COBOL, intro to Fortran, intro to this. And I realized at the time I was not a good programmer. Yeah. My future wife. She's an excellent programmer. So even now, when I have problems trying to understand how to do something, I'll say, uh, can you help me out with this and just write the pseudo code for me? Yeah, yeah. And she does. Uh, she sits down and writes it all out. And then I translate it into whatever package I'm using. Uh, but it's so, I enjoyed it so much that I spent a lot of time on like the ACL forum giving free advice where people would post questions and, and it's just like, Oh, great. I get to answer a question. Like, and it expanded my knowledge and hopefully expanded their knowledge. And there's, there would be five or six of us that were always sort of, I'd say competing in a friendly way to answer the question. And yeah. then if one person answered it, we'll say, well, you could use this approach and we yeah. come up with a different approach and it was just fun. You know, it's a pastime, so to speak. If you were, let's say you go into a company and I know it's, it's broad strokes because you, you need some more, detail, but people always ask about quick wins and things like that. If you were going into any given company, where would you like, what would be the tool that you would bring to that company? What would be maybe a, an analytic test that you would do maybe for a given department or process or, or something along those lines? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the company I'm, I'm co-founder of right now, uh, we've looked at sort of a horizontal slice mm-hmm. that every company has to have in place. So it's your financial operations. It's, it's all of those as opposed to a vertical that may be specific to your industry or something. Yeah. So the first thing I would do would be hit some of those like accounts payable. It's, 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 it's an easy one. Uh, it's an obvious one. There's actually a lot you can do there. I used to you know, ask people, what's the objective of your accounts payable audit? And they'd say to find duplicates. And I go, really? You know, that's the objective. Well, that's what we're trying to do. And I said, okay, there's a difference between the objective of the audit and what you're trying to do. You know, I would hope the objective of the audit would be something along timely, accurate, uh, um, to the right vendor, uh, approved invoices, you know, and you start getting into a bunch of other things. And part of what that can do is help you to formulate what data you need if I'm talking about timely, then I need the invoice date. 
I need the payment terms and I need the payment date. If I'm talking about duplicates, you know, maybe I don't need those. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily ask for those. So to stop and think about what the objective really is and what pieces of information you need in order to assess whether there's a risk or a problem with that, which is a little diversion from what you really asked me, but accounts payable, certainly. Uh, I've seen a lot of problems with uh, payroll. Payroll is, is a big problem, especially if you have uh, not, so, not so much the duplicate side of it, but if you have special uh, allotments or things that people are getting, special allowances and stuff that, that start and stop and uh, timeliness can become an issue. So that's a big one. Uh, Contracting is another one that uh, I, I like to look at. Just are we splitting contracts to avoid financial limits, uh, contracting limits? Are, are we, you know, is it the last vendor who submits a bid who always wins? So there may be some risks associated with that. Yeah, I like that. So some of the horizontals yeah. is yeah. where I'd start. Um, you and I have talked off air and you talked about moving beyond analytics which is kind of crazy because that's what you do. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. I would love for the listeners to hear more about that though. What do you mean by moving beyond analytics? Well, you know, as you say, uh, when you do some analytic and, and, and you do something that maybe you haven't done before and you, and you get a really neat result and you look at it and go, this is, I really like this. This, this, is, oh, this is so useful and this is great. It's, it's, sometimes it's not even what you expected. Yeah, which can be even better. Like, wow, I found something and I wasn't even looking for it. Like, this is fantastic. But I was supporting so many audit teams and I would pass them this stuff and I tried to explain to them exactly what it was. And they go off and do the actual conduct part, part of their audit. And you know, I talk to them afterwards and say, so how, how was that? Was it, you know, was it useful? Did you get something out of this? And they're well, we ran out of time or we didn't understand it or we weren't sure exactly how. I'm going, wow, not everybody can just look at a, a results spreadsheet and go, ah, this is what that means and this is what I need to do. And visualization helps for many, many years. I, I could just visualize the data. So I, I wasn't big on visualizations. It was more look at the data and say, here's what we have to do. Um, so visualization helps. I'm not great at visualization. And I think you need to have somebody who can understand how to convey the message through graphs and charts and things like that. It's, it's, it is a skill in and of itself. But even to move beyond that, and that's something the company I work for is trying to do now, is to say, okay, we've got hundreds of analytics. We've visualized them. But now, which ones are the most important? to convey to management and how do we convey that to management and what do we think management should actually be doing? What action do they need to take to address the control weakness or the risk that the analytics have identified? Can we use AP as the example there and kind of walk us through what you're talking about? Sure. So we'll, we'll say, uh, you know, I run some tests. We'll use a simple one. We'll run the test on, on duplicates just to see if the controls are working. And at the end, you know, you identify number of duplicates. And some people leave it at that. They'll, they'll go and, and recover the money, perhaps. But what we try to look at is what's the underlying cause? Why did those duplicates get in there in the first place? And why were they not detected by your ERP system? And there can be a number of possible reasons. 
Um, a number of folks are letting, when they do the entry of the invoice, the default for the invoice date is today. So if you enter an invoice today and you enter the same invoice tomorrow and you let it default, then the invoice dates are different. And that's one of the keys that something like SAP uses to determine whether uh, an invoice is a duplicate or not. So we would say it's not a duplicate. So when we get the, here are the possible duplicates, we start doing additional analysis on it to try to get to the root cause. What was happening here? Was it defaulting on dates? Were they using generic invoice numbers? Were they, do we have duplicates in our vendor table? So we paid ABC Corp and we paid ABC Corporation and the system says it's not a duplicate. Interestingly enough though, you know, one time I was, I was talking to some finance folks and validating the, the results. And I said, uh, here's a duplicate. You paid ABC Corp and you paid ABC Corporation. And they said, well, that's not a duplicate. Said, Why not? And they said, well, we didn't pay the same vendor twice. We paid two different vendors. It's like, okay, number one, that they are the same vendor. And yeah. number two, I don't care if they were totally different vendors. This invoice was paid twice. Yeah. You're talking about visualizations, and I did want to ask you about that because I know I felt similar. So when visualizations started to become popular, I guess, you start to see them more, I would go, yeah, but if I have the data, I can just figure that out myself. And, and, it, and it, you know, I can, I can sort and look at the top 10 or, you know, whatever, whatever the visualization showing, I can do it and I can take it a step further because I have access to the data. Um, so I, the analyst, don't need to see it as much, but I know you've kind of changed your tone a little bit on visualizations. I think yours was kind of similar to mine yeah. uh, in that respect. So I'm curious where you are with visualizations now um, and maybe the way that we should approach visualizations. You know, if you think about a, an audit report and typically there may be like an executive overview and then a more detailed section and they're aimed at different audiences. So, you know, the more detailed stuff gets down into probably what specific controls and it talks about how they're breaking, what the cause is and all that sort of stuff. The executive overview paints a little bit different picture, a little bit more of a high level picture. And I, and I think that visualization is, is sort of like that. It, it, it is intended for a totally different audience. Yeah. I, I, I don't, for me, I don't see the point. Mm -hmm. So I might sort of look at it and then I would jump directly down into the data just to see that. Yeah. Uh, but for an executive, they may, they, you know, they, you're competing for their time. You're competing for their attention. So you want them to sort of look at that and go, okay, you know, I understand there's a problem now. I don't know what it is, but I understand there's a problem and maybe we should focus our attention on it. And by that extension into the next step for analytics is, and by the way, this is the action you need to take. Mm -hmm. And then they can go, okay, I see the problem and you're telling me this action needs to be taken. Great. I know who to assign that to. I know what that means and we can move forward. And now analytics can be integrated into the business process yeah, as well as into audit. And that's how I see it too, is more on the storytelling of this is the issue and using visualizations to show that rather than a spreadsheet or, you know, or, or some text. Um, and there's a place for text and visualizations also, but that's how I see it also. It's, it's more almost kind of like the end of the audit. You want to show the results 
and tell the story of those results. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what's changed my tune in that I'm not anti-visualizations. I just know now when to best use the visualizations. Yeah. Like I said, it's, 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 it's an, even a children when they're learning, right? There, there's different types, different modes of learning. Some people are more visual. Some people are more oral. Some people are more hands-on. And, and we need to cater to what audit's trying to have an impact. It's trying to bring about a positive change on something. And you've got to use all the different communication methods you can in order to have the people that are going to make the change, yeah. have them understand what's required and what I need to do yeah. and why I should do it. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. So I guess historically, it seems like, especially if we think about audit, analytics is probably seen as more just on the the financial side of it. Um, But I'd like to hear your take on that. What do you think? It's interesting, and, and that's uh, quite often the problem that I've had or the challenge that I've had in, in trying to get more audit groups using analytics because they'll say, well, it's not appropriate to my audit. Mm. And it's like, really? If you have a business process that either generates or uses information, analytics is appropriate. Mm-hmm. So we, we sit down and, and I try to describe to them what they could do. And if I, if I may, I'd like to give you a couple examples. Yeah, please. So I was called in, we're looking at um, a hiring process. So a staffing process. And it took, believe it or not, two years from the time that someone got a, their application was accepted to the point where they went through the 39 steps mm-hmm. to get to being hired. And rightly, uh, management was a little bit concerned that they were losing some of the good people along the way because they weren't going to wait two years to get a job offer. Mm -hmm. So I I used analytics to look at the start and stop of each of those steps. And one of the first things I noticed was they were in series. So they never did any two steps in parallel. So everything had had to wait for the other step to finish, move forward. So that was one thing that just, just by looking at the data, I understood more about the process. And if I'd done a walkthrough, I might not have noticed that, whoa, we're waiting for each step to finish. The other thing I noticed was one step took six months. And that step was a simple one. The candidate had to have a physical medical check. I say six months, like, well, you know, we tell them they have to have, and it takes them a while to get it. what you know, they're going to have to have a medical if they get to here. Why don't you tell them six months earlier that they have to have a, a recent medical and it has to be done? And they're so they changed the process and we dropped it down by doing some in parallel and warning people ahead of time about requirements. 
that we got it down to six months right. without really any significant change to it. And that was data analytics. Another one was um, I was working for the military and they wanted to know if a unit was ready to go to deploy. So our operational readiness and uh, the light colonel, Lieutenant Colonel who was responsible, I said, what do, you, what do you do? He said, well, I interview people. I said, does anybody ever say, no, they're not ready to go? He said, well, that would be a career limiting move. So typically, <laughs> typically no, they don't, they don't say that. And I said, okay, what constitutes ready to go? Well, they have to be trained. They have to have the right equipment. They have to have the right support. They have to have you know, the right personnel. And I said, those are all data points. Mm-hmm. I can tell you how many personnel they have. I can tell you whether they've had their training and how recent their training was. I can tell you, by the way, this group that you're looking at, they don't have a senior mechanic. And a lot of their equipment is in out for service. And you're sending them to the desert and all they have is winter gear. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you mean you can't use data analytics to answer that question? And then, of course, you know, IT controls, um, you know, looking at a, a system that's being converted. I did one where uh, as the system was being converted, I compared the two tables. This is an HR system. And I was comparing the tables and the old system and the new system, it didn't match up properly. The tombstone data applied to each employee was off by one record. Mm. So mine my tombstone data was applied to the person above me and I got the person below me's tombstone data. They, they never would have really noticed that because everything came out fine. Everybody had tombstone data that should have, you know, but I had the wrong birth date. I had the wrong start date. I had all sorts of stuff that would have just caused craziness down the road. And so data analytics, it's, it's much, much more than, Financial. A lot of times there's a financial implication, mm-hmm. but it's much more than just financial. Yeah, those are great examples. Do you have any other, you've told some really great stories, which I fully expected based on your uh, your career and how long you've been in this. Is there one that maybe you haven't spoken about that, that you could share? Maybe one of your favorites? Well, there's one that I like to use on, on the flip side, which is data is data and analysis is analysis. But ultimately, especially uh, if you're doing fraud and things like that, you, you, you really need to validate what the data is. So we were doing some uh, P-card analytics, and I noticed uh, two things in particular. One, one that uh, somebody was buying stuff at the liquor store. And it's like, okay, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And the other one was uh, Golf and Country Club. $6,000. I thought, wow, that sounds like a membership. Apparently I was way off. It was much more expensive to get a membership. At this <laughs> so, um, and a third one was a strip joint. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I was doing the audit. So I actually went and talked to the person about the alcohol. Wait, was this all the same person? No, different people. Okay. 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 So I, I talked to the manager of the person who, who purchased the alcohol and they got all upset and everything else. And they were, you know, we're going to pull the card and all this. And turns out that person taught the breathalyzer course. Ah. Now, the breathalyzer course works like this. Welcome, you know, people to the breathalyzer course. Half of you just leave the room and come back in, in about two hours, maybe three. 
okay, you're having one drink, you're having two, you're, I volunteered for eight. Uh, <laughs> and then the people come in and administer the breathalyzer. And the next day, or maybe it's a couple of days later when people sobered up enough, they, they swap. So the person had an operational reason for buying alcohol. It, so the data told me they bought it, but the assumption was there was something wrong. And that's not necessarily true. For the golf and country club, I thought, ah. same organization. It was a search and rescue helicopter had landed in the golf and country club to pick up somebody who was uh, having a heart attack and they couldn't get vehicles in there for whatever reason. And they damaged the green and they paid for the damage with their credit card. It's like, ah. So then we come to the strip joint yeah. and I, I went to see the person and the guy's got long hair and tattoos and a beard. And, you know, I said, I'm here to talk to you about your, uh, your credit card purchases at the strip joint. And he grabs me and throws me into an interview room and starts yelling at me. And he says, look at me, I'm undercover. You know, what the heck do you think? You can't go there and drink milk. I mean, you got to fit in. Yeah. Get the out of here. And he sort of throws me back out. And just as I'm, I'm sort of starting to leave and I'm going, well, that makes sense. I said, wait a second, you're undercover and you're using your government issued credit card. <laughs> like, and he goes, yeah, busted. <laughs> so the data is useful. It gets you going, but you have to validate and you have to, well, you have to have a little bit of trust in your analysis too. Okay. But you also have, a, have to have a questioning mind, like, it, am I interpreting it correctly? Did I do the anal analysis correctly? A lot of times, it's the first time you've done an analysis using this system. And they, it can be complicated. So, yeah. you know, don't let that stop you from trying and from doing more. Those, examples, uh, are, those examples are great because it, it does seem like more times than not, do something, especially you're talking about MC codes or merchant category codes. I'm looking at P cards and you'll see something like that. And you're like, strip club, nailed it. We're about to go bust this person or bar or, you know, whatever. And you, you just, you know, you kind of get excited about it. And then you go talk to them and they tell you like those first, the first two out of the three. And you're like, okay, well, that actually makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, so it's, I, I did like that you pointed that out because I think a lot of times people think, okay, we're going to use analytics. We're going to find something, you know, and, and in your, your third example, there was, um, but that's not always the case. And I had someone I was talking to a couple of weeks ago and they were like, yeah, we did this whole conflict of interest analysis to see if we had vendors set up as employees or employees set up as vendors and the, the data was a mess. And so we had to clean all the addresses up and like combine them together and then, you know, pull the two tables together and see if we found anything. And we went through all of them and we didn't even find anything. And I went, so you got hundred percent coverage on this? And they went, yeah. And I went, and there's no issues. And he went, yeah. And I was like, that's a good thing. That's, yes. like, that's, that's a good thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's great for, I don't know, a win, maybe to validate or help validate, you know, using analytics. Uh, Cause I think if, for most people, if we don't find something, then what was the point? But a large part of what we do in internal audit is for the assurance. And so we are providing that assurance, um, which kind of leads to my, my, my last question for you. There's been discussion recently on internal audits, trying to find fraud. Should we look for fraud? Should mm. we not look for fraud? And it's a little different, especially if you have data, because it's like, well, we could build this thing and we could just push the button and 
you know, look for it. It wouldn't take us as much time. I, I was just curious what your thoughts are, because I know you, you've even written um, a book about fraud, right? Yeah, data analytics to find fraud, yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious uh, the charge maybe to have internal audit look for fraud. You know, it, it's not something that's new. It, it's been in existence for quite a while, that sort of question. And, and you really hate for it to come up the first time when there was a fraud and people are saying, well, where was internal audit? And you're saying, well, that's not our job yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sort of thing. So some, some audit shops, uh, you need to be aware of the possibility of fraud. And when you're doing the analytics, you can do some testing that sort of says, does it look likely or not? Yeah. And in those cases, you may say, we need to now expand the scope of this audit and drill down and look at the actual possibility of fraud in this area. It's nice when you can have some analytics to say, you know what, we don't have to do that because there isn't anything that's showing us, giving us any indicators of possible fraud. So you're, you're doing a little bit of both, scratching the surface just to see and getting down into it. But um, if I may, I'll tell you uh, another story. Um, I did some you know, vendor employee relationships, okay? mm -hmm. so looking for that. And I found this was for um, the person who was the main manager responsible for billions of dollars in IT budget okay. was also a, a vendor. And I went, this doesn't make any sense. And I raised it, right? But the very, very beginning of the audit, I raised this. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. He's, he's, he's not an employee. He is a vendor. He's just here as a contractor. And I said, that contractor has been here for 10 years. That contractor has an office, has staff reporting to them, uh, has signing authority. They're, the only thing that they're not an employee is they just don't get a salary from us. Um, but they're an employee. And the IRS or in, up in Canada, the CRA, they would say, this is an employer-employee relationship. So they said, we'll fix that. We'll hire them. <laughs> okay. So then I'm doing another audit where I'm looking at uh, IT contracts in that area. And I'm just saying, do we have contracts where there's labor and no parts or parts and no labor? Uh, do we have, you know, like certain things happening within the warranty periods and all this? And I'm finding all sorts of this stuff. And we go, and who do we have to talk to? The same manager. And he starts yelling and screaming at us. Because one of the things we brought as an example was a, a $350 mouse. And I'm talking about not the optical mouse, the, the wheeled mouse <laughs> that you had to plug in. And he's just screaming at us about standard costing. And do we have any idea? We, we have no idea the complexity here. And he's supporting worldwide IT. And you know, $350 a mouse is not so bad if you're doing it across the street in a major city. But if you're going up to Juneau, Alaska to install a mouse, then you, know, you can't make that manager pay the full price and get the out of here yeah. and throws us out. Okay. A <laughs> little bit later, I'm ordering some stuff and I have to go through him. So I'm ordering some laptops and he says, well, it's near end of year. This was a government sort of agency and we lose our budget. So um, it's near end of year. Can I throw your laptops in with some other purchases and we're going to go for a bulk purchase and we're going to do it, get a better deal. So sure enough, I, I say, sure, why not? It's not my money. It's actually his money. Um, well, not really his, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, 
my laptops arrive and they are old and they are more expensive than what I could have purchased on my own. So I questioned him. I said, what, what is this? And he says, well, yours were the only laptops. We did a bunch of desktops. We did really well on that. Okay. And I questioned his, his boss and his boss said the ex- word for word, the identical thing. And I thought, yeah, he's relying on this person. And so to end this story, the guy had over 10 years committed a $350 million fraud. He was billing for stuff that never happened. Yeah. He was, he actually had a company that was manufacturing invoices on his behalf and submitting them for him to sign off and pay. And the analytics picked him up three times and three times we let him go. Yeah. Because we didn't follow up on it. Yeah. I, I don't think we could believe that it was actually happening. I asked for a good story. That's a good story. <laughs> You know, if, if, if I'd made the hit, hit or, made, you know, identified it and he went to jail. If I, if I had been the one that actually had my analytics had done that, I'd be out on the speaking circuit and you wouldn't be able to afford me. <laughs> Instead, I'm the guy who says, you know what? I let him go three times. Lesson but, I learned, yeah. but I learned something, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that with everybody uh, for free, might I add. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's been fantastic. Is there, uh, Dave, we covered a lot. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Any final words? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about moving beyond analytics and that's into actionable items. And the, the company that I co-founded, which is called Control Matters. So CTRL, just like your, your key, CTRL, the control key, Control Matters. It's actually done that. It has hundreds of analytics and those analytics are like the onion, the center, perhaps, on the, on the pre side, we do appraisal, we do uh, looking at the integrity of the information, the completeness of that information. If you don't provide us with certain information that we need to do all of the analytics, the analytics will still succeed, but we'll say, you know what, your coverage isn't as high as it could be. If you could give us a few more fields, and we'll tell you which ones. So that'll support you going trying to get them. So you say, you know, to management, we need this information, otherwise, we can't run these tests. So then that gets fed into the analytics. We run all the analytics. We produce the hundreds of results. We do the visualization. We make that available. But we take up another step further and we say, this is the action that needs to be taken because we've identified the root cause of the breakdown in the controls or, or, or the process. And we're looking at efficiency. We're looking at fraud risk. We're looking at internal controls. We're looking at financial controls. So it actually supports a lot of the SOC stuff too. So I encourage people to sort of check that out, controlmatters.com. Sounds great. And then people can find you on LinkedIn as well? Absolutely. And uh, I also have my own blog. Okay. So yeah, we'll link to the blog and the, um, which is great, by the way. I I think I told you before we started talking that I came across it like five years ago and just thought this is, there's some good stuff in there. So we'll definitely link that. Thank you. uh, And to your, your LinkedIn profile also. Um, anything else? I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity and uh, it's been fun chatting with you. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Dave. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.